0: Thank you for joining us as we elevate the Black entrepreneur experience by interviewing CEOs, thought leaders, innovative thinkers, and Black entrepreneurs across the globe. I'm your host, Dr. Francis Richards. Our next guest is a behavior scientist, executive coach, and expert in toxic leadership and toxic organizational culture. Welcome, Dr. Kevin Sansbury II. Hello.
1: Thank you for the invitation.
0: I've given our audience, Dr. Kevin's such a brief bio, why don't you fill in the gaps and share with our audience what you'd like them to know about you and your business?
1: Yeah, essentially, um, I created a business after years of being a Vice President of Human Resources and a Vice President of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Programs, um, created a business that is grounded in the research that I did in academia related to toxic leadership, employee coping, and organizational culture. And I've um, moved away from the corporate world and now consult with organizations and serve as an executive coach for a lot of leaders across the country to eradicate toxic behaviors and help people be able to thrive in the workplace, you know, given various different, you know, um issues that we have to face in the workplace nowadays, but in brief that's kind of what I do.
0: Well, I am honored that you have joined us on Black Entrepreneur Experience live podcast because your phone should be jumping off the hook when we talk <laughs> about the great resignation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, my business has almost increased in demand, and I have i think I've quadrupled my business a year over a year due to various factors such as the great resignation, um, the need for inclusion and equity to be authentic in a lot of different industries, um, and also uh, socioeconomic differences in, in the way uh, organizations show up. To various markets, um, yeah my business has grown dramatically because of that, and with that being said though I will say that a lot of partners that I work with um, I will I'm not called early enough um, I want to be a proactive partner and not necessarily reactive but I'll take what I can get as long as we're able to solve problems for people
0: talk about CEO narcissism.
1: Yeah, that was. So I did a study on CEO narcissism where we were looking at trying to figure out if there's such if there is a such thing as positive narcissism, because if you look at the research, a lot of CEOs will show up with a lot of narcissistic traits and typically they may feel like. That's how they got to that position. And some of those stories are true. And so what me and a few other researchers were trying to do was say, okay, well, if narcissism, you know, is a trait that CEOs have, whether it's self-selected or not, is there any positive benefit to these traits? If CEOs possess them, what we found was there is such thing as positive narcissism. So there are so there are some positive benefits to some to some of the narcissistic personality traits. However, in the long run, you still see a decrease in organizational uh, performance as it relates to the impact on people. Um, And so. That was a study that was near and dear to me because I've I've coached a lot of CEOs for very complex 80,000 employee companies all the way down to about 1,000 and some of those traits that CEOs have they may view them as beneficial but the purpose of that study was to be able to show like yeah some of those traits are beneficial in a way, but ultimately they're not helpful. So what behaviors can you replace or how can you make start making shifts to behavior to be have an overall positive impact on people?
0: We wanna thank um, all of our listeners for joining in. And if someone have, um, if they have a question for Dr. Kevin, feel free to let us know. So Dr. Kevin, talk about how do you recognize If you're working with or for an abusive supervisor.
1: Absolutely. I mean, one of the first things I ask people to do is imagine what a Sunday night feels like. That's the first question I say Uh, because a lot of times your body will start telling you things before you even recognize it. And many people have anxiety that gets heightened either on Sundays or even at night after, you know, after they clock out, metaphorically speaking. And that anxiety will tell you something. That's a signal. And so the first step is listen to those signals. Second, when we talk about abusive supervision or toxic leadership, you know, there's a there's all kinds of lists of like, this is toxic, this is abuse, whatever. But it's really subjective because somebody might like a leader that like is loud and, you know, like that kind of thing. And other people might have past trauma in which that is toxic to them. And so, it really depends. But I I tell people, like, look, the signs are what is your body telling you? Is it anxiety? Is it insomnia? Um, do you have uh, a defense mechanism already prepared when you go to work? What is your drive to work look like? Those are the signals to say, hey, something is off. And so um I, I, you know, there's plenty of lists online people can look up related to what the what the behaviors are, because they could be things like, you know, people talk about micromanaging. People talk about yelling. People talk about um, I've had I've had leaders who behind the scenes play like um, they play people against each other and create like fight, you know, internal quarrels and stuff like that. So there are a whole host of behaviors. But the first step is self-awareness as to how are you responding to your environment, which are which are which are important to look at.
0: We have a call, so we are going to take a, a question from the audience. Okay. Go on, caller. Caller, did you have a question? You're on mute. If you wanted to unmute yourself and ask Dr. Kevin Sansbury a question. Thank you. Did you have a question? Okay. She says she can't hear anything. Uh, I have, did you have a question that you wanted to ask? Okay, so we'll go on, and if, and if the one of if the listeners has a question, we will let them um, chime in. Talk sure. about workplace authenticity, because you talked about um, inclusion authenticity, and I want to know if they're one and the same, and if not, I want you to address them both.
1: Absolutely. So when you think about authenticity, that's more looking at, at the individual level. So that's basically... Is the person who is in that work environment, because my research focuses solely on the work environment, so is that person in that work environment able to show up as their authentic self, whatever that might look like? And that varies based on, you know, what, you know, based on somebody, you know, however safe that person feels psychologically. And so I look at that and basically look at, you know, are you able to do, you know, show up the way you want to show up? That could be physically, that could be, you know, mentally, that could be how, you know, verbally, that could be how you talk related to like mannerisms or whatever that might be, can a person show up as their authentic self? Now, a lot of people are like, well, why is that important? You know, make money, make money. You know, well, one of the things that you'll see Is performance is actually correlated with how the level of comfort and level level of psychological safety a person feels. So, if I, for example, if I'm able to, if I feel like I'm able to take social risks versus being timid or versus doing things that I might that might be too safe, I might not innovate as much, right? And so, a lot of those things related to authenticity is not all. Um, this is not soft literature it 's really looking at basically, do you feel safe to be who you are and live into the gifts that you have because um your performance will therefore be more uh positive if you're able to do that. Second, when you look at inclusion, inclusion is more so not necessarily the individual that 's actually kind of what the organization and what the organization and what groups of people are able to do or able to create for individuals. And so when you look at inclusion, you look at things like, um, what kind of environments are we creating for people to show up the way they need to show up? Um, you're looking at things like, how are we signaling to parents that this is an inclusive place to work? So you look at your benefits, you look at how you do deadlines, you look at the time, you look at, do, is there an expectation to answer emails on the weekend? You look at, does the boss work on the weekend? and send all kinds of emails to you where people just implicitly respond. So inclusion are the acts that signal that it's safe to be authentic. So that's kind of how you would tie the two together and the difference.
0: We wanna thank our audience for joining in. And if anyone um, has a question for Dr. Kevin, just let us know. So talk about um, the organizational culture and how that plays into leadership and if it's a toxic environment.
1: Yeah, so when you think about the organizational culture, People confuse organizational culture and organizational climate probably about 100% of the time in what I see on the Internet. One of the things to think about when we say organizational culture, organizational culture really means your implicit shared norms and expectations of behavior in the in, the, in the organization. And so I'll give you an example. We can have an organizational culture of perfectionism. We can have an organizational culture of, you know, dependency behaviors, meaning everybody asks for permission for every single thing. Nobody feels like they can take initiative. Those are like those implicit underneath the iceberg types of uh, expectations and shared norms that we have as a collective. Organizational climate is basically the reaction to the culture. So like oh, our management doesn't trust us and micromanages us, you know, when we work from home or don't even let us work from home. That's an organizational climate issue that is driven by a culture of lack of trust, a culture of paternalism. And so what you tend to see is like these cultural thoughts and expectations impact the climate negatively. And so that's what tends to happen. And so when you see toxic organizational cultures, what you tend to see, and I use the word toxic, but it could be toxic, it could be transactional, it could be what you know, whatever it might be. But basically, you'll see cultures that have implicit shared norms that we all have to compete with each other. And in turn, the climate becomes like the hunger games movie it's like everybody for themselves it becomes like i'm going to talk behind this person's back it becomes like i'm going to rate this person's pre- performance appraisal differently you know because i want to compete and you'll see a culture of competition um and a culture of negative competition internally which in turn leads to even managers competing with their own direct reports which is really toxic Another thing you'll see is in some environments that I'm working with right now, especially um, restaurants and, you know, frontline workers and stuff like that, you definitely see a culture of low trust and a culture of conformity and compliance. And what that tends to look like in a climate standpoint is employees are being you know, basically tap down when they want to do individual things. Or so if I'm working in a restaurant, for example, I see a better way of working and I want to try it out. I basically am told, no, don't do that, and continue working your fourteen-hour shift. And da da da. When we found in, in in organizations like Zappos, when you gave people a little bit of autonomy to make decisions. They will perform better and actually do more for the company and do right by the company. Um, but I think a, a lot of people need to get into their minds what is the desired outcome that we want? Because a lot of cultures have leadership who have never been trained to be a leader. These people are put into leadership positions, which is a very delicate place to be, and they have never been trained to do so. And they get promoted because They've worked there a long time. They get promoted because they're really great at a task. They get promoted because of who they know. And then in turn, these people are responsible for the affect and for the performance and for the outcomes of a lot of people. And yet we tend to blame the employees. I love to put the focus on leadership and I love to put the focus on what is leadership's role in being accountable and responsible for those shared norms, for that culture. And so to take that back to the definition, when I talked about a culture of perfectionism or when I talk about those kinds of things, I look at leadership to model. Well, what does it look like not to be perfectionistic? When I talk about a culture where we want to you know be be a parent first culture and be good for families and stuff like that, well ask leadership, what are those norms that we want to model to signal that it's safe to you know have kids here it's safe to be a parent here you can you can you cannot travel for this this job or what have you and still feel valued and all these kind of things. We can be flexible to your needs, but I always look for leadership to do so because leadership has the formal power in the structure to make shifts to the climate by creating, you know, different shared norms and expectations
0: in the culture. Again, we want to thank the audience for joining in. And if someone has a question for um, Dr. Kevin, don't hesitate to let us know. So, Dr. Kevin, is there a leader that you know of that you would say that we should model that leadership style?
1: Oh, great question. Um, one leader that comes to mind from like in like the corporate arena is somebody named, uh, Dan price. He's a leader over, um, I think he's CEO of this play. this organization called Gravity gravity payments. Um, basically the reason why I'm, I'm, I would call out, uh, Mr. Price as a, um, model leader is because he practices what he preaches and, I use those words specifically because if you look him up and look at look at his Twitter, he's all about providing financial uh, mobility for his staff. And he became like really big. He wrote a book about taking a pay cut and creating a $70,000 minimum wage for his employees in his organization. And he talks a lot about the impact that that act has had on his employees, on his organizational culture. The difference between what he's doing and what he's done and what I see a lot of times and how he praise other leaders is he literally, that's his messaging and he practices what he preaches and it's not, he doesn't deviate from how he operates. And so that was a real, that was a real kind of act and he talks about it. He challenges the status quo. I'm not a fan of leaders who, we just praise them simply because they're rich. Because if you look at the history of a lot of these leaders that we put on pedestals, look at how they got there. Look at how they treat people. And those are not the norms that any of the research actually talks about being beneficial for people. Um, I, I'm, I'm really a fan of leaders who, who put people in the equation of the profits because it needs to be in the equation leaders who are solely focused on profit, you'll see them get praised in magazines and all this kind of stuff. But then behind the scenes, we complain about them having like 2% Black staff. And then you see lawsuits based on racial discrimination. You see lawsuits based on gender discrimination. You hear about people signing non-disclosure agreements. And so I want to be clear about having a leader who is transformative having a leader who is truly doing um you know the work that needs to be done to put people first you will see that through and through consistently it won't just be one off pr kind of campaigns
0: so what are some of the effects of toxic lead-
1: oh yeah lots so i'm going to start in the workplace that I'm going to start that I'm going to go after out the workplace. So in the workplace, you see an increase in employee silence, meaning people don't speak up. You get, you, you hear about things five years later, people don't speak up. You see a decrease in innovation. You see a decrease in willingness to, um, uh, challenge difference. So you see a lot of conformity. You see, um, increased competition between peers, you'll see an increase in uh, intention to turn over, which means people are always on their way out in a way. Um, So then when you jump outside of work, given all those things I just described, you see an increase in something called work-family conflict. So sometimes in these environments, uh, people will have marital issues or family issues, and it'll spill over to other facets of their lives through Projection, psychological projection. Um, you'll also see an increase in stress and that increase in stress will then lead to, um, typically psychosomatic issues. So like the stress, you know, causes issues to immune system, which then leads to a whole bunch of, you know, uh, physical and mental anguish and, and things like that. I ran a, um, FMLA program. For like five years where I was the person who approved and reviewed people's FMLA's. And I saw time and time again in the departments where they had leaders who were deemed uh, toxic by a lot of people, um, people were going out. People were taking time off. I needed, I, you know, I'm the mental breakdown, cancers, all kinds of different things, generalized anxiety disorder. All of those things got kind of correlated with their work environment. And I'm not saying it was causal. I'm not saying the work environment caused it because I didn't do a study, but I'm just saying it was correlated with the work environment, how I saw the work environment. And so I used to bring these things up in the workplace, but unfortunately, a lot of toxic behaviors really normalized. We tend to, Again, based on how leaders are kind of promoted and based on how organizations run right now, especially in the United States, a lot of the behavior that a lot of people deem toxic are normalized and people really look past it. And so that's that systemic issue is more of the issue. Um, Even over above, can we change a toxic leader? Like even even over above asking that question, the system is a bigger issue.
0: Someone is listening and they're saying, I'm in a toxic environment, or my leader, my manager is toxic, what advice would you give?
1: My advice would be first, you have to like be specific and less nebulous about what it is, because typically if if that if you know, typically That's the first step is awareness of what the problem is and being able to articulate it. And here's the impact on me, because like I said before, one person's toxicity could be another person's. "Eh, I don't care about that. And so, you know, in some things, some things are just universally like wrong. But other things, there there could be some uh, subjectivity to it. But anyway. with that being said, I would be able to be like, okay, so what is the behavior? Well, I'm being micromanaged. What do I, how do I have this conversation? I'm being micromanaged too much. It's causing me stress, whatever. My, the first step typically is go to the source. And if that's, you know, some people don't feel safe doing that. Um, I then work with them to look at, what other resources do you have around you? And that could be like what support you have through like your employee assistance program. That could be what supports you have through like an organizational ombuds person that could be support related to like, do you have a therapist you talk to who can coach you? Do you have a coach, Uh family who whomever you can go to, it can even be coworkers, whomever you can go to to have these conversations. Um, I would say do that human resources. There's a lot. So whatever your support structure is, be sure to check your, I guess, your interpretation of the situation because then you'll be able to gather, okay, what can I do next? Is it directly conf- confronting the person? Is it I need to work with HR and have an investigation? Is it I need to transfer to another department? Is it I need to leave this organization and there's really nothing I can do? Like my, maybe my organization doesn't support me, but whatever that might be, be sure to first step is be sure to identify exactly what the problem is, and then that'll help you talk to folks about it so that you can come up with an effective solution for you um, that's typically like the first step I would recommend as it relates to like mitigating what's going on um, related to a toxic boss
0: so give us a story, Dr. Kevin, around and you don't have to tell us the company, but sure. give us Story around one of your most successful um, stories around dealing with a tech toxic leadership and how and the outcome.
1: Yeah. So I had a leader on the verge of being terminated, and they were a leader of a very successful company, um, public facing, all this kind of stuff. And boss, you know, there as the boss, you know, a lot of employees behind the scenes came forward with issue. And so I got brought in by their boss and said, "Hey, we can't really lose this person. We want to keep them. They're good for our brand. They're good for our work. Can you coach this person?" And so I, I ended up coaching this individual, and we did some assessments. And you know, they have they did exhibit a lot of traits of narcissism. I'm gonna be honest, which narcissism in itself is not necessarily like the the the. Uh, personality trait, you know, it's very low in the population if you look at it, if you measure it, but some of these traits do show up in a lot of people. And so one of the things I did, I became this person's executive coach. And over a six month period, we met every other week. I can tell you, I mean, some of the things that happened, uh, 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 me gaining awareness of how this person thinks, I learned that the behaviors that they exhibited were not necessarily, um, personality per se these were all behaviors they learned from a previous boss that they had and so as we unpacked a lot of these behaviors i started sharing the impact and we did a 360 assessment all this kind of stuff and so long story short eventually this person actually stayed with the company and the company's doing you know successful they're, they're successful and all that kind of stuff and they actually had they had like a 30 percent uh, people leaving, it's a turnover and all that kind of stuff. And we like year over year decreased that to about seven, I think, at that time. And that was lower than like the company average from a departmental standpoint. And it was basically due to this person recognizing the changes they need to make and them getting in the driver's seat to make the change. Uh, One of the things I like to tell people is, you know, my doctorate is in this. I do this. I study this. But I will never say I've ever changed anybody's behavior. They change their own behavior. And I'm, people have to want to change their behavior. Uh, and so there's no magic like words. There's no magic formula when it comes to talking to people. I simply served uh, as a guide for this person to illuminate things and impact that they were having on people, but most importantly, sharing what the outcomes could be if they, if they did decide to change how it could be better for their business, how it could be better for them. And I had to really see what made this person tick and really learn about what, how are they motivated? Um, and so once I did that through coaching, um, yeah, it, it, you know, it, it was all said and done. It was all great. And they're still there.
0: Being in corporate um, positions, it's so competitive and mm-hmm. so- Do you think that leaders are feeling that they need to be toxic to advance their career and Mm. they are actually adopting that toxic trait?
1: One of the things you'll see, uh, there's this researcher named uh, Travis Bradbury. He did work in emotional intelligence, and he has a really um, telling display of the fact of the higher somebody goes in the corporate ladder, the lower um, their emotional intelligence is, for example, and so some of these behaviors that you'll see related to toxic leadership, some people don't even know they're doing it. What tends to happen is they just have low emotional intelligence and are very low socially and relationship aware. So they're low; they don't they're not aware of relationships and the social impact. They're not aware of their own impact and their own awareness. And so you tend to see that correlated with where somebody shows up in the workplace on the organizational chart. And so. I see that a lot of times the systems that we have in organizations don't truly promote the right people as it relates to who's the best leader. Um, They tend to look at, again, other traits like this person's really good at, like, accounting, this person's really good at, which is, you know, you want to have that if you're a CEO or something like that, but, like, there are some behaviors you can learn, and then there are other behaviors you have to be willing to learn as it relates to people and how to treat people, and I think those are less um, rewarded as we move up, and that's why you tend to see some of these, quote-unquote, toxic behaviors thriving. It's really because the systems are not holding people accountable to treatment. And unfortunately, in the United States, for example, being a toxic leader is not illegal. It becomes illegal if it is you're discriminating a protected class or you're sexually harassing folks or the toxic behavior is, you know, again, based on a protected class or or impacting a, a protected group or what have you. But if I'm just a jerk and that's it, and I'm just a equal opportunity jerk or whatever, that's not Illegal. There's nothing against that. We don't have any hotlines per se as it relates to toxic bosses, workplace bullying. We don't have any legislation related to workplace bullying, and that's something I'm actually going to be working on, as I you know as I continue my work is how can we make this systemic?
0: Thank you for that. And again, we want to thank our audience for joining us. And if they have a question, don't hesitate to let us know. Doctor Kevin, fill in the blank. Thank you. Pandemic because.
1: Mm. I would say thank you, Pandemic, because it caused a paradigm shift in
0: what it means to work. Expound on that more. Yeah. People woke
1: up organizations, under—not I'm not I'm not going to say understood, but um, individuals in the workplace have really woken up to the need of like, hey, we need to be f- flexible for people's needs if we want to remain profitable, if we want to counteract the um, workplace, uh, you know, the great resignation they talk about. And I, I think with that being said, the, what do you call that? The pandemic has illuminated the fact that it's necessary for organizations to be flexible to their people, to be equitable for their people. And so, what you're going to see is if you look at the great resignation, like research and where people are leaving and stuff like that, not every industry is experiencing the same type of resignations or the same exodus. The great resignation and the COVID pandemic has only exacerbated already toxic work environments. These work environments didn't just become the way they are. They they were like that before, but what the pandemic did was made things a little harder, and it made things, it kind of it enhanced it a little bit. And so if we don't trust you when you're here, you're definitely going to see us not trust you when you're at your house. And you're definitely going to see us put tracking things on your computer and bring you back to work way earlier than we need to, or just bring you back to work if, you know, even though your job doesn't even require it and we're going to make up all kinds of reasons why. Um, and so I, I think the yeah, I think the pandemic helped, helped us look at, you know, there is a another way and there are a lot of organizations that I'm looking at on the internet and some that I'm even working with who are thriving because they're hiring all the talent that left the toxic workplaces they're hiring all the talent that said, you know what? I'm marketable and I and I can I can work from wherever I need to. And and so when people ask about like, "Oh, are you like a flexible person? Don't we need to meet in person?" I don't I don't have an opinion. I'm in the middle. I want people to be able to work what what makes sense for them and what makes sense for their team. And so if a team wanted to say like, "Look, we're we're going to come in person to do in-person planning and then the rest of the time we'll work remote because we, what's the word I'm looking for? It's better for us that way. It's better for me to pick up my kids that way. All that kind of stuff. Um, those are the kind of, kind of flexibilities that I look for. I look for things that are more so like, are we doing things because like a lot of organizations are doing things because that's the tradition versus that's right for the company or even that's right for the people.
0: There are so many brands and businesses that are dominating. Talk about a brand or businesses dominating that you admire and why. And I know you talked about earlier Gravity Payment, and I don't know if that'll be the same for. The-
1: Let me ask: How would you define? How How do you want me to define like the dominating piece? Uh, what am I like? Yeah, tell me more. Well,
0: you know what? It's how you define dominance. You know? Oh, because okay. you could. Yeah. Someone else can define dominance like an Apple or a Google, and then someone else may define it as um, like the slutty vegan. So it's how you... Got it.
1: Got it. Yeah, I mean, so if we're, yeah, if looking at traditional measures, if we were looking at like financial, yeah, there are plenty of our blue chip name brand organizations that are doing fine financially um, for a whole host of reasons. And that, I wouldn't say that that means they're thriving from an organizational culture standpoint, but if we're talking about organizations who are actually, you know, putting their money, I guess, where their mouth is related to minimizing toxicity um i'm gonna say that these are a lot of places that nobody's heard of because these are organizations that don't necessarily uh, what's the word i'm looking for they don't espouse it because that's just who they are as a company and so i typically look at things like um like zappos is a good one um and historically zappos has always been kind of having that culture that is um they give people autonomy. They trust their employees and things like that. And that's a classic one. Um, one of the things that I see a lot of, and I'm just going off of what I've, what I've heard. I haven't worked with them before, but there are companies like, uh, Salesforce who are doing a lot more as it relates to racial equity that I've been seeing. And then there are also companies locally that I work with in some local, local places around the United States that are doing great work. And so, one of the things that's common between these companies that are dominating from a people standpoint while remaining profi- profitable and those who are just dominating like they've always done from a capitalistic standpoint is you'll see you'll see companies take a stand and really mean it. You'll see companies truly valuing um, the different tensions that evolve like race in the workplace. You'll see companies truly closing gender pay gap and being honest about it. You'll see companies uh, promoting underrepresented folks. You'll see companies um, doing something about their resignation honestly and openly and honestly and admitting mistakes. That's really the difference you're going to see. And one of the things I'll say about it is these organizations are so in tune to their culture and so busy on their organizational culture, they're not the ones that are doing the PR campaigns to tell you how great they are also.
0: You know, Dr. Kevin, that's something interesting you were talking about is um, inclusive, authenticity, and you talked about the companies, about the the race, the gender pay, yeah. gap, all of that, and the great resignation. I'm going to challenge you because what I'm seeing, I'm hearing a lot about the great resignation. I'm seeing a lot of people that are actually exiting from the workplace but what I'm also hearing and seeing is there is a lot of companies that are using this opportunity to push a lot of diverse people out of the workplace and mm. I've seen it um, I'm seeing it across the board in terms of I know quite a few young millennials who there they were Pushed out of the workplace. And then I'm seeing a lot of older um, African Americans that have been pushed out of the workplace. So I've been um, talking to people about what's really going on. And then when these same individuals are trying to find employment, it's not so easy. So I'm wondering if this whole great resignation is there a bigger picture that we're not really seeing or is it going to come out years later? And is is this similar to what's happening with the corporation saying, we really embrace DEI and all of that. And we know that that's a lot of um, website jargon, but when you try to really get into these organizations, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, you're not getting access to that. So can you speak to
1: that? Absolutely. 100% agree. First point, the DEI that, the reason the reason why I don't name a lot of companies that are doing like really awesome work is because A, I either signed, I either signed like a non-disclosure where I can't like talk about who I work with or B, they're few and far between. There are way more companies who are treating DEI And the Great Resignation as another corporate social responsibility thing where they're like, let's put a committee together and act like we're doing stuff and make a strategic plan. And we're going to donate some money, but we're not actually going to change the way we think. We're not actually going to change the way we work. It's going to be optics. We're going to make it look like we're making tangible shifts. And in my TED talk, I talked about something called cultural theater. That is cultural theater. And what that is, is when we make all the trappings and the optics to make it look like we're shifting the organizational culture, when in reality we're just doing a bunch of climate things. So that goes back to my definitions. We're not shifting the culture. All we're doing is doing a whole bunch of climate things, a whole bunch of band aid fixes, a whole bunch of temporary things. So when the spotlight gets off of the George Floyd murder, we're going to stop being there. You know, we're going to keep our, you know, we're going to keep our uh, employee resource group so the black people can talk to the black people. We're going to keep the group so Latinx people can talk to Latinx people. The LGBT people can talk to LGBT people, but we're not going to do anything tangible because we're not going to really shift the way we work. So I see that a lot more. And I think in a few years, we're going to look back and say, wow, what movement have we really made? And when I talk about movement, if we're talking about what's the measure, dollars. Are you increasing the wages for employees of color? Are you increasing the wages for women, and really, are you increasing the wages for everybody? That's the, the truth. But I also, but I need to make a f- clear point that, like, people of color and women are paid lower. So, are we increasing the wages on average? And I don't want to hear, "Oh, yeah, we just hired this black female CEO or marketing person." That's one person. What are you doing on average? And second, what are you doing at the lower end in the spectrum of the org chart too? Um, because if you look at a lot of organizations plenty of their people of color that they show you in the posters aren't in decision-making roles. And so are you, in, are you, are you increasing the movement up the org chart or do people have to leave to get up the org chart? Um, so that's my first point. Yeah. There's a lot of optics. There's a lot of show. And um, I think the great resignation just, you know, caused organizations who have the best PR budgets to crank it up a little more. And I think, years from now we're going to see how temporary things were and we're going to not see mindsets truly shifting um because there's not a challenge to truly do so uh related to the great resignation in itself that whole the whole thing about the great resignation the great resignation is a privileged a privileged uh construct what that means is There are not a lot of people who are lower from a socioeconomic standpoint who could even participate in the Great Resignation, even if they wanted to people are privileged to be able to quit without any income and they have savings or they, you know, they, they have a connection, they have family or whatever. It takes a lot of courage to do so, but it also takes an ample social support system, financial support system to do so. And so not everybody can even do that. And so I think at the same time of the great resignation, there's a great something else of people who can't leave. There's a great something else of people who did do the great resignation and they quit. And now they're getting discriminated against in the job market. There's a lot of that too. And so, yeah, I think that's like an unsung um kind of issue that goes unheard because most of the writers who write about great resignation are not like the ones I see they're white people. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I'm just saying it's just coming from a different perspective. And so plenty of people that I've talked to, I share the same, uh, I have the same examples. When I talk to people of color, there are plenty of folks that I've talked to who can't even leave. They, they, they wouldn't even imagine leaving without a job. That's not even in their, they, they have no nothing else. And so that's a problem. And then two, I've talked to other people where they leave and they're of color and they can't get another job. And now they're you know they're debating on, wait I, what do I do and I'm going to take need to take a lower paying job and things like that and so the the invisibleness of privilege whether people want to recognize it or not it it is an undercurrent that I you know you asked the question of will we will we recognize that in a few years I'm not sure we'll recognize that because we currently. Have even have states that we don't even want to talk about privilege. We don't really want to teach privilege. So like, I don't I don't know if I don't know if we will recognize that phenomenon other than researchers that want to talk about it. will talk about it. And writers who are privileged enough to talk about it will. But I don't think that'll become the mainstream narrative because nothing that impacts truly nothing that impacts the minority population and I'm, you know, you know, I'm using that words in quotes. Nothing that impacts the minority population is like mainstream. It won't become mainstream until it affects everybody. And I don't think that's something that's going to impact everybody. I think the people who take advantage of the Great Resignation are have networks. They are marketable in a way where they went to a better school, or you know, just all kind of factors that that make uh, challenges less challenges challenging. I guess I would say. And so, yeah.
0: Someone's listening and they have recognized that they are a toxic leader. Oh yeah. What should they do?
1: Wow. Um, I've had that. So I, I, I have the toxic leadership podcast and I interview leaders all the time. I'm on episode like 54. I've had one person actually tell me they were a toxic leader out of 54 episodes. Um I if somebody recognizes that they have behaviors that are, you know, impacting people negatively and, you know, like that, I, I think the first step is talking to people you impact and having that conversation about, you know, what is it about the way I operate that how does it, you know, how does it impact you? Because context is real important. Um, one of the behaviors that I have with my teams that I work with is I get really nervous around deadlines. So if I don't hear like when something, if I don't know something's not, you know, something's not coming along from a project standpoint, I freak out and I send emails and I'm not, I send them on, I send them on delay, for example. But like sometimes when I'm sending emails, they'll, a lot of emails will come up at once. Cause they got, I delayed them to like Monday morning or something like that. And it looks frantic, but that's just, I just sent them on a the weekend. Cause I don't want to bug somebody on a weekend. And so some of those behaviors got called out before. And so what I started doing was like, Oh wow, my bad. I didn't even know that. Cause I just put it in Google to delay send. Well, it looked like 80, 80 emails coming to somebody, not 80, but like five. Um, cause I kept thinking of new things and asking questions and stuff like that. But anyway, I shifted how I operated and I sent like one email and then I said, Hey, let's, let's schedule a time to talk about it. So that way, if I had any questions or whatever, I'm not like hitting somebody frantically because that was not my intention. I know that me as a person, I work at three in the morning, two in the morning. That's when I work. I work on Sunday nights. I love, you know, that's, that's when I get really my, my brainy work. And so I just work, I work in non-traditional hours, but that could come across as toxic to somebody. And nobody used those words with me. They just said, hey, like, can we set up a meeting? And I was like, yeah, let's do that, because I saw the impact. And so I think somebody being aware of the impact that they have, A, be open to that, and also be open to the fact of nobody works, the, nobody's going to work always the same as you. And so whether you're in a leadership position or a co-worker situation, be open to new ways of working. That's the most important trait for somebody to have.
0: Okay, Dr. Kevin, I'm going to have to give a disclaimer here. I hope you don't think that I was being narcissistic when I was blowing up your email to confirm this meeting. No, uh, uh,
1: <laughs> no, <nah, nah. laughs> <Nah. laughs> no, no, no.
0: Advice you wish you had followed.
1: Oh, I wish I had followed. Um. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. Advice I wish I would have I followed was... Don't take yourself or things so serious. And I'm gonna say wish I followed because I I I know it consciously now, and that's something I'm trying to do right now, but it's still hard because that's ingrained in like who I am as a person, and I'm trying to be less perfectionistic. I'm I'm trying to be more free-flowing with how I, you know, navigate this world and the spaces that I'm in. And so yeah not taking yourself too serious and not taking just things too serious there's a whole lot of things to be joyful about and there's a whole lot of stress to go around and so i don't want to add more stress to my environment and more stress to myself by taking everything as like life or death and super serious um and so with that being said um with that advice it is something I need to, it's something I work on and want to internalize even more so that I can have a greater impact on me, myself, and the work that I do.
0: Again, we want to thank all the listeners for joining. And if someone had a question for Dr. Kevin, I definitely um, wanted them to ask if they did. Dr. Kevin, talk about toxic leadership and the various generations. Like, Ooh. I millennials and the younger generations, they are just not tolerating a toxic leader or a toxic environment at all. They are easily to say, I'm out, Mm -hmm. Um, where maybe your boomers or um, the forgotten generation would take a different perspective. Have you worked with the various generations that you want to
1: yeah all generate. i've worked like every generation and the the difference what you'll see is like the difference is not necessarily saying like all millennials have a certain personality type like or something like that it's not it's not necessarily that really what you'll see is what stage did this person grow up in and what was and what was kind of those generational norms i guess that were um that were more- you know that are normative and you you then look at what does that person have to lose? So there are some folks who grew up in an environment, in a workplace culture where you don't question leadership, where you you work in a place for into retirement and the organization. That's the that's the gift. That's a reward. And you don't leave jobs. You're loyal, all that kind of stuff. There are some folks who grew up and internalized that. And then there are other folks who saw pensions being cut. And they grew up in like 2008 crisis where pensions are cut and we're going to lay you off or whatever, whatever, whatever. There are people who grew up in that kind of era. And so they take, you know, they, they they respond accordingly. And then lastly, there are people now where we literally, you can get on your cell phone and start a job at Uber if you got a car sitting in your bed. You can, I mean, I don't know how easy it is. I don't know how to do it. But. I'm just saying you can go go. You can take advantage of the gig economy. You can start a business a lot faster with the how the Internet's making the world smaller. And so it just depends on it's really more so like a lifespan development situation combined with kind of those environmental factors. So it's less about personality. It's more I look at it more of like, where did that what is that person growing up in and what options and avenues exist. And then you also look at the fact that like people who are older in the workplace typically are almost about to retire sometimes, or they have their retirement 401k nested, or they have a pension they're working towards. So they're less likely to leave in the first place. Um, And so I say all that to say, those are some of the differences that I see. I also see a difference of like, let's say again, somebody's a parent. I don't care how old they are. Let's say they're a parent and they need the medical insurance. They're more likely, less likely, I mean, to leave. Um, And so I'm not subscribed to say it's just a millennial thing versus a boomer thing. It's really a lifespan thing. And in kind of where that person grew up from a workplace culture expectation standpoint.
0: I like that very well said, Dr. Kevin, if you conducted this interview, what is the one question you would have asked yourself? I want you to ask the question and answer it.
1: Oh, okay. Um, I guess I'll tell you, I guess why do I do the work that I do? So I'll answer that. So why I do the work that I do, which is a combination of consulting, media, um, executive coaching and speaking, and my again, my expertise is in toxic leadership, workplace bullying and all that kind of work, discrimination, I do a lot of other work. And so with that being said, why do I do the work that I do? I do this work because I am, I, I, I just, as a part of my legacy and as a part of what makes me want to get up in the morning and like work is I want to create and cultivate a movement and be part of this movement to make better workplaces all around the world. And I'm in a position where I can do that through my business venture. And I can do that with a host of different consultants and leaders around the country, one around the world now where I can be part of that movement. And so I do this work because from a mental health standpoint, from a, how we spend our lives standpoint, Where else do people spend the majority of their time other than the workplace? And people spend so much time in the workplace, and yet there are so many things that are normalized that shouldn't be. And so that's why I do the work. Um, I want to be part of this movement to create a better workplace, and I want to have lasting systemic change where we can authentically um, create environments where Employees know their rights and are able to exercise them in a safe manner.
0: I've heard it, it has been said self care is physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional. Which one is speaking to you today? Mm. Spiritual.
1: And I'm going to take this a little existential, like existential. So what I think about when I say spiritual is not necessarily uh, solely focused on like an organized religion or anything like that, but more so spiritual in your very being as to who you are as a person and what feeds you and what drives you um, at that very deep core level. And. I'm taking a more I'm taking a more approach more than more than emotional because somebody could say, oh, it's emotional or mental. Well, no, I'm really talking about I'm really talking about the deepest why you can think of. And I think that when we talk about self-care, that needs to be somebody really honing in on what their what their purpose is in life, not a job, not a role, what your purpose is to make this world a better place. and When you do self-care, how aligned is every action you do to that grander purpose at the spiritual level?
0: We've come to the part of our interview, it's called a rapid round of fun. I'm going to ask you a series of questions and I want you to give me very quick answers. If there's something you desire not to answer, feel free to say pass. Are you ready for the rapid round of fun? Yeah. Your favorite color? Uh, Red. Your ideal car?
1: Uh, I like a Tesla truck. I don't know what it's called, but that one.
0: Your favorite singer or rapper?
1: Kendrick Lamar.
0: Your favorite dance song?
1: Dance song. Um, Pass, I don't know.
0: <laughs> you relax doing what? Well. Working out. Your first job?
1: Oh, I was a Pizza Hut pizza maker guy.
0: What food you eat every week, no matter what?
1: Protein shakes.
0: Workout or hit the couch? Workout. Dr. Kevin Sansberry II, thank you so much for joining us on Black Entrepreneur Experience Podcast. Before we let you go, why don't you share with our audience the best way for them to connect with you and to do business with you and feel free to leave all your social media.
1: Sure. Yeah. So um, I can be reached at Kevin dot com. Uh, I can be reached at the toxic leadership podcast dot com. Both of those websites will either take you to any contact pages to get to me um, on uh There's another website. You can leave leave me a voicemail. And so I'm I'm able to answer questions, any kind of workplace question, leadership question at AskDrKev.com or AskDrSansbury.com. And then I can be found on, I think, essentially all social media platforms. Uh, You know, my name is Kevin Sansbury, so it'll be like at Kevin Sansbury or um, at the toxic leadership podcast um, on Instagrams and all those kind of things. Um, But if anybody connects with me on LinkedIn, you'll see all of that. Or if anybody goes to the toxic leadership com, you can see all of the social media handles as well.
0: And speaking of your podcast, who is your ideal client that you interview on your podcast?
1: Yeah, it's morphing as time goes by. Um, So I'll I'll tell you real quick. So um, I started off interviewing researchers, leaders to talk about toxic leadership and what we need to do about it. Then I started morphing and now I'm doing more uh, telling stories, excuse me, about industries and about what people are going through as well. And so it really will kind of pendulum between those two, either people who can like talk to us about the impact of different leadership or organizational culture phenomenon or people that are going through it and that want to share their stories related to whatever industry they worked in or things like that.
0: Thank you, Dr. Kevin. That is a wrap.
1: Thank you.